Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, we're going to be talking about secondary progressions and what happens when planets station retrograde or direct, and how that can indicate an important year of the native's life uh, when they station by secondary progression. So joining me today are astrologers Nick Dagan-Best and Catherine Urban. Welcome, both of you, to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for having us, Chris. Yeah, thanks for joining me, Nick. It's been a number of years. You're one of my first, you're actually my very first guest, I believe, in episode two of the Astrology Podcast. You've been deep mm -hmm. in intensive research for the past few years, but you're, you're emerging from your research cocoon um, as a beautiful butterfly that is ready to share, That's I think, your right. insights with the world. I am astrology's Greta Garbo. I am. Um, okay. So, yes. Good. Well, welcome. So she never emerged with a bunch of astrology research, but that's on her. Yeah, I mean, you can only do so much. Um, and Catherine, this is your first time on the show. Uh, welcome. You're an astrologer from Ohio, right? Yeah, I'm up here in Cleveland, Ohio, and so happy to be here. Thanks for letting me hop on last minute to join the two of you. Yeah, well, you had some great example charts, so I thought it would be a great idea, and I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while, so I thought it was a good opportunity. So why don't we jump right into it? So secondary progressions. Um, I've already done a full episode sort of that was a general introduction to secondary progressions in episode 144 with Kelly Surtees several years back. And people can find that on YouTube or on the podcast website by searching secondary progressions every day symbolizes a year. But just to sort of recapitulate a little bit of what um, this timing technique is about, secondary progressions um, is a symbolic timing technique where it equates every day of your life after you're born to one year of life later on. So you kind of like take the transits for each day after you're born and the transits on that day become almost like the transits for an entire year of your life later on. Is that, is that basically more or less true or how, how do you guys introduce or explain the concept of secondary progressions? Yeah. Well, that's, that's spot on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, in that way, it's kind of a symbolic timing technique. And um, so, for example, 10 days after a person's birth equates to 10 years of life, or, or when they're 10 years old, essentially their 10th year of life. So, our focus today, and, and secondary progressions is a very popular, it's one of the most popular modern timing techniques, I think, behind or second only to transits, which is often the first timing technique that most modern astrologers learn and employ. Secondary progressions became very popular over the course of the past decade. I think some historians say it was originally due to Alan Leo, who really championed the technique. Um, but it's also partially because it's just very simple to calculate, because all you need to do is pull out an ephemeris and look at the month you were born or a month or two after you're born, and you can easily look up and just calculate your secondary progressions pretty um, in a pretty straightforward fashion. I think, right? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, secondary progressions kind of fall into the where the the rules around time sort of bend in astrology, and there's a lot of examples of that in astrology. But yeah, we're basically taking um, a microcosmic section of time, like the first 90 days after someone is born, and translating that into um, a macrocosmic 
section of time to become the first 90 years of life. So you can, yes, like you said, Chris, look at an ephemeris and pretty much look at any any planetary shift that's happening within those first 90 days of life and gather a lot of information. Right. I I tend to think of them as a sort of transit, but a transit that's removed from real time and operates on a sort of internal clock time. But to me, the principle is very much the same. And you're looking for a lot of the same uh, things that one is looking for with, with regular real-time transits. Right. So in order to calculate this, it's pretty easy. You can just pull up, let's say, an ephemeris from astra.com where they have their free 2,000-year ephemeris or 6,000-year ephemeris. I was born in November of 1984, so I pull up the ephemeris for 1984, scroll to November, and I've got it kind of easy to calculate secondary progressions because I was born on the first of the month. So here's all my placements basically in my birth chart on the first of November 1984. And in secondary progressions, you just calculate that those transits are the natal transits, and then you count one day per year um, from that point forward. And each day after you're born equates to one year of life. So if I wanted to calculate where the transits were when I was, what the secondary progressions were when I was 10 years old, then I would just count forward about 10 days, and that would be my secondary progressions for that year or for that entire year of my life. So that's the basic concept of secondary progressions. But then what we're doing in this technique specifically is we're focusing on one piece of that, which is looking and seeing when and if any planet's station retrograde or direct by secondary progression. And that's something you can do relatively easy with an ephemeris because you can just scan through the first uh, month after you're born, or if you're older, the second month after you're born, and see if any planet's station retrograde or direct. So for example, here about uh, a month and a few days after I was born, Mercury stationed retrograde at zero degrees of Capricorn when I was 33, 34 years old. So that would indicate an important turning point in my life. And we'll get into more of what that means later. But it, here, in just in terms of visualizing what we're looking for, we're looking for planetary stations within a month or two after the person was born. So, yeah, yeah. Being 53, I'm well into my third month of the <laughs> the calendar as things work out. But yeah, I was thinking earlier today that that's one of the ways astrologers know when you're getting old, when you have to start flipping pages in order to calculate your secondary progressions um, using an ephemeris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's a process. It's real. I didn't right. believe it when I was your guy's age, but it turns out it's totally, totally legit. You do yeah. get older. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is true, in fact. Um, but yeah, the one thing I do appreciate about looking at progressions in um, a handheld ephemeris is that it'll also have the lunations in the bottom. So again, we're not focusing on that today, but it is helpful to use to look at your progressions there if you have it as well. Yeah, for sure. Like in the American ephemeris where it lists the new moons and full moons and eclipses down in a little table at the bottom of the page. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you can go a step further with the Rosicrucian ephemeris. You also get um, declination included, which can be ve very helpful when you're looking at some people's progressed moons, like mine, go out of bounds, in and out of bounds over the course of a lifetime. 
even though I wasn't born with an out of balance moon, my progressed moon goes in and out. And that stuff is like clockwork, but that's a whole other episode. We could talk about doing sometime, Chris, but uh, not tonight. Yeah, declination is definitely on my list to do at some point. Um, so another way, of course, you can do this and calculate your secondary progressions is just by using an astrology software program. Like for example, I use SolarFire from alabe.com, which you can get a discount on by using the promo code AP15. But let me share my screen and show you what that looks like. Where um, this is my secondary progress chart for this year, but I'll take it back to uh, 1984 to roughly like the year of my birth. And all you have to do is cast a progress chart and then um, animate the chart and move it forward, usually in one-year increments, and just keep moving it forward until you see if any planets station retrograde or direct. And for me, we already identified Mercury was going to station in my mid-30s, so I'll just move it forward to then. And we see Mercury's moving through Sagittarius. It started out in late Scorpio for me in my birth chart, and by secondary progression, it moves through Sagittarius during the course of my teens and 20s. And then it starts slowing down, and then eventually here, um, around 2017, we hear we see it switch and we see the S symbol indicating it's stationing, it's slowing down, and then within a year or so of that, it, it stations retrograde and begins moving backwards. And then for the next several years, we'll continue to just move backwards in my chart by secondary progression because Mercury stationed retrograde about a month after my birth um, back in November, back in late 1984. Wow. So, that was really neat looking at that. Um stationing conjunct Neptune at the first degree of Capricorn. That's really something there. Yeah. Well, and what's funny is 2017, when it's stationed, is um, the year that I published my book that I worked on for 10 years, Hellenistic Astrology, the Study of Fate and Fortune, which is probably the main one of the main things that I'll become known for or will always be known for is having written one of the first major comprehensive treatments on ancient astrology in modern times. So that Mercury station by secondary progression in that year that I published the book was really marking that as being an important turning point in my life and sort of putting an exclamation next to that year of life. If you just glanced at it in ephemeris when I was born, you would say around 2017, there's going to be a really important turning point in his life. So publishing the book was one part of that after 10 years. And then as soon as I published the book, interestingly, I also started pivoting to doing video versions of the astrology podcast. I had only done audio for five years up to that point, but I got serious about doing video in 2017, and that turned out to be a huge success and also an important turning point in terms of the podcast and the other thing that I've become known for in terms of doing all of this. Yeah, and that's what the solstice degree can do too—is make you known for something. So that's a really incredible example. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes those personal examples are useful just because you know, and you can see it in your own birth chart. You know how significant certain years of life are or are not, and kind of can judge the relative importance. And so, what we're going to do here today is go through a bunch of more sort of celebrity examples and try to convey the importance of what happened when planets stationed retrograde or direct in different people's charts 
Um, but certainly it's always by seeing it in your own chart that you'll get, or, or sometimes people that you know closely, that you'll get the most um, intense understanding of what it's all about and how significant this technique is. <laughs> what were you going to say, Nick? Oh, nothing. Uh, just okay. agreeing. Yeah. Cool. And the very last thing I wanted to show is also when in Solar Fire, I have a page layout, my Hellenistic page layout, where you can actually create a little box in the bottom right hand corner. And let me share the screen again. In the bottom right hand corner, I have a retrograde and stations box. And it actually tells you in one column when the last station was, how many days ago any of the planets stationed retrograde or direct. And then it also indicates what the next station will be, how many days in the future until the next station. So right there in that diagram or in that box, we can see that Mercury's next station after I was born on November 1st, 1984, it says was 33 days away. So right there, we can see that and immediately convert that into years and know about when I'm about 33 years old that Mercury would station. So that would be important relative to that, this technique and giving us an approximate time frame for when Mercury would station retrograde. So um, look, if if you live to be ninety six, you're going to have a progress Pluto station as well. Okay, that'll be fun. Um, yeah, I'll we'll see, see if I you can... in the year twenty eighty. <laughs> twenty. Oh my god! Hopefully, Pluto will be done transiting. I got to survive Pluto going through Aquarius first, which it's going into next year into my rising sign. So we'll see. We'll see how things go. Um, so people can find that layout uh, for the Hellenistic layout just by. Doing a Google search for Hellenistic astrology layout for solar fire, and I have a post on that in one of my blogs. Um, so those give you some ideas of how to calculate the technique. Um, I don't. Are there any other ways to calculate it or to sort of eyeball it that I'm not thinking of? Yeah. So if you, oh, go ahead, Nick. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I think I know what you're going to say, but yeah, if you go on the right hand column and click reports, and then you click tabulations. It's going to be the first box available. It just says stations. Okay. So you can also do like a report that gives you a list of stations in solar fire as well? Yeah, it'll pull up pretty much the same table you just had. Okay, got it. So that's really useful. Yeah, there's also the, oh, I was going to say, there's also the dynamic report function. This is maybe the more most sophisticated out of all the methods you can use. But on Solar Fire, there's also a dynamic search where it can just oh, scroll yeah. through all your transits, all your progressions, what have you. And there's a setting there where you can look at your station. So it'll it'll give you your stations in a list with the, the precise dates of when the stations occur. So there's also that as well. That's so cool. See, that's the awesome thing about Solar Fire too, is that I'm never done learning in that program either. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's so massive. It has so much stuff put in it um, that there's so many things I still haven't even discovered. So that brings up the next point though, which is how you calculate secondary progressions can sometimes make a difference because sometimes if it's a list, it'll give you like a specific date. But something I think is important to be clear about is talking about the exactness of the technique versus it having kind of an orb of influence because planetary stations, while you can calculate mathematically the exact point where the planet turns around and either turns retrograde or direct, it's really more of an arc. And as a result of that, 
Um, it's something that may have an orb of influence, so to speak, that extends out maybe a year or two on either side. So let me show a diagram for the video viewers, for example, that was illustrated for me by Paula Bellomini a few years ago. And this just shows the Mercury retrograde cycle where Mercury is moving direct and it's moving through the signs of the zodiac. And then when it turns retrograde, it kind of does a, a U turn, so to speak. And that U turn, when it moves from direct to retrograde, is the first station. It's the retrograde station when it stations retrograde and begins moving backwards. Then Mercury's retrograde for like three weeks, and then eventually it does another U turn and stations direct. Um, but because that U turn is, because it's more of a U turn rather than a very clean sort of break, it's often important to think of the station as something that's not an exact date so much as it's a um, sort of a a point that radiates an influence sort of outwards on either side in terms of the dates. Does that make sense, or how do you to usually explain it? I would say that's largely true, um, but they also be, they they really are they do interact with real time transits as well, and you get some very striking examples where. Uh, progressions are uh, are very precise, largely because they're interacting with the right transits at the right time. Um, so, but but in general, I would say you're you're absolutely right. They they they're sort of a, a place marker in time that that let you know that okay, in this general period of time, not not necessarily you know one particular afternoon or even one particular month in a year, but and this is a period in time where a, a shift is happening in the individual's life. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I tend to use more generous orbs in terms of the time period that the station could come into effect. In my research, I've pretty much discovered that the stationary planet by progression can show itself in a very big way within maybe as early as two years before the station and as early as two years later, sometimes even three, because um, I feel like with progressions, a lot of times it takes a moment for it to really set in and for the person to really embody that shift. Um, but I have also seen some of these stations manifest right on the nose. Yeah, for sure. It can definitely go either way. Yeah, no, um, it definitely happens. It definitely happens. Yeah. Yeah. I usually give it, I look for a range of a, of a year or two on either side of the station, usually before or after that's relevant for the station of that planet. And part of it, and it represents a major pivot or a turning point in the native's life. Um, but part of the reason I think it sometimes has that large orb is that those retrograde, that U-turn that it does, it's kind of like turning a boat and how that doesn't happen all at once, but instead it's kind of like an arc. Absolutely. Yeah. Stationary planets are incredibly powerful. And especially the slower moving planets, the outer planets, they're going to hold that stationary degree for quite some time. Um, yeah, I mean, even Mercury will hold that degree for at least a couple days before it starts moving quickly in the other direction. But yeah, I would definitely agree these are huge turning points in a person's life. Yeah, and that Mercury holding a degree for a few days, of course, equates to a few years when it comes to secondary progression. So that really does freeze it in time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And not to like navel gaze too much, but to just to go back to that example to illustrate what both of you are saying right now with mine. Um, so here's 2014, and we see Mercury is still direct in my secondary progress chart. It's at 29 Sag, um, but it's moving slowly and it moves into zero degrees of Capricorn in 2015 and then stays at zero Capricorn by 2016 and then starts to station by 2017, still at zero Capricorn. 2018, it's fully stationary, still at zero Capricorn. Now it's retrograde by 2019 at zero Capricorn. By 2020, it's retrograde and starting to move back by minutes, but it's still at zero degrees of Capricorn. And then finally, by 2021, it's retrograded back to 29 degrees of Sagittarius. So it's finally moved off of that degree, but we're talking about a period of of several years where it's just sort of stuck in the same spot in the zodiac. If I can just interject, if you look at planets making their stations with an astronomy software, I use uh, Starry Night. You can see it really does make a, a loop, like like one of those you know sort of roller coaster type things, and mm-hmm. that's part of the reason. If you if you visualize it, part of the reason why the planet stays in just one degree for so long, because really it's I mean it is in motion, but it's in motion on the same zodiacal point. So yeah, that's that's just you know if you're looking at it in the femoris, you almost you're, you're given the impression that it just like sort of stops and goes backward but the 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 visualization of it is actually it's more of a this sort of circular loop that it makes and that's that's really the reason why it, it occupies so much time in one degree yeah it's kind of shifting by declination up there as you mentioned yes. yeah. yeah yeah and i know you have a venus retrograde video nick i'm going to see if i can share this on the screen really quickly um, cause you have a, a old video titled Venus Synodic Cycle 2009, 2007. Yeah. And if I share that, I think I'm going like, to upgrade that in a little while. I'm going to turn this, uh, like playback speed five years ago. I'm going to turn down the playback speed and hit play here. So in the background, it's got we the see funky v- music too. You might want to. Yeah, it's silent. So Venus is moving and then it stops and does that loop right there. So that's yeah. Venus stationing retrograde, and then exactly. it goes retrograde, and then it turns around and does another U-turn to and station direct. Interior conjunction with the sun. Yeah, there you go. So that's, yeah, that's the way it looks. Yeah, so that's what you're talking about in terms of the astronomy. Exactly. Okay, good. Well, I think that explains things pretty well in terms of calculation and everything else. Why don't we jump into some example charts and then we'll come back to some of our our other points to clarify some of the other parts of the technique. So there were a few examples. We've all sort of contributed different example charts. One of the ones that was always my favorite, and I think that I've used before on the podcast when talking about secondary progressions, but it was always one of the most striking ones to me, was my friend Alan White who was an astrologer that passed away um, about a decade ago, but he was a big, um, he was an associate of Project Hindsight, and he was a big proponent of Hellenistic astrology, and he was one of the reasons that I got into Hellenistic astrology. And He's the reason I got into it too. And funny enough, um, Alan used to talk about secondary progressions, and he would uh, remind us that they're mentioned in the book of Genesis. There is some passage in like the first page 
in the Bible where there's there's some some allusion to let a day equal a year or something to that effect. So Alan was yeah. very fond of 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 associating saying, well, this stuff goes way back. <laughs> wow. I feel like I saw that at one point years ago. And yeah, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So let me share first um, Alan's birth chart, which I always like to share because he's my, one of my favorite examples of um, a native with Aries rising and Mars in Aries in the first house um, because he was um, a former military veteran and he was like very gruff and very um, straightforward in his manner of like speaking and sometimes could be a little bit abrasive, um, but also, yeah, a little bit. He, he was he was a Marine. He had a Kaiser Wilhelm curly mustache. Um, he 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 looked very. He's you know classic Capricorn in that you know they're they're so tough on the outside and just so soft and gentle on the inside. And Ellen was no different. But yeah, he had that. You know, he's an Aries rising with an Aries Mars, and he looked fierce. I mean, the first time I met him, I thought, "Wow, this is an intimidating character." Um, but yeah, he was—he uh, was very gentle, very um, a very compassionate person, actually, but with the really gruff exterior. And he—he he talked like this. All right, <laughs> right. You know, like a, a, we used—we used to joke that he was kind of like Robert Duvall's character in Apocalypse Now. If that character were an astrologer, if, if anyone knows the movie, this crazy military guy who goes surfing when the they're strafing villages and stuff like that. But anyway, yeah. Um, just to, I wanted to fill out your biography because it's it's hard to do Alan justice. Uh, yeah, if you didn't and know him. Luckily, um, a couple of years ago, when he was in the process, he passed away of cancer in 2011, um, or yeah, back in 2010, and he recorded a lecture for me. I asked him to re-record a video version of his famous introduction to Hellenistic astrology lecture. And I released that in 2020, actually, as episode 250 of the astrology podcast titled Alan White Intro to Hellenistic Astrology. So people can check that out if they want to. Um, he was sort of sick and like not as oh, um, much of his self in terms of what we remember in terms of some of his earlier lectures, but you still get a lot of his personality. Anyway, so um, Alan's story was that he um, was a former soldier and he was in the Vietnam War in like the late 1960s. And then he was Early 60s. Yeah, in, in the 1960s. And then he was a traveling salesman and a mechanic and picked up a bunch of odd jobs over the years. But at one point, he got interested in astrology. Um, and at one point, I think he attended a conference maybe in the 1980s, but he was a little bit, bit put off by. Like sort of the approach of the astrological community at the time, which was a little bit more new agey and stuff, and I think a little bit from his perspective is more of like a gruff sort of ex-military person. It was a little bit too fluffy for his liking. I think is how you you might put it, sort of gently, right, Nick? Yeah, I, I don't want to use the vocabulary he would usually use. Colorful and uh, appealing as it was, it's not for <laughs> it's not for everyone. Um, but yeah, he would. He was definitely someone who, um, you know, saw things in in cold, hard, 
realistic terms. Um, and and so yeah, he didn't he didn't have a lot of time for. It's really the the jargon or the vocabulary that comes with a new age perspective. I think that was you know um, he he liked to express himself in a different way and couldn't relate to this other sort of style, if you will, of of astrological discourse. Sure. So what happened is if you cast his secondary progress chart um, and you progress everything, he had um, Mercury and Venus retrograde for a pretty large chunk of the second half of his life. So we can see his progress chart here in the early 1980s, Mercury's retrograde at 20 degrees of Aquarius and Venus is retrograde at 9 degrees of Aquarius. And during this time it's sort of like he's he's getting more interested in astrology but he's studying it himself and he's trying to find pieces that he thinks are valid and he's not really connecting with or finding a community of people that have an approach like him. Um, but then what happens is when you get to the early to mid 1990s, something really striking happens in his chart, which is that first in 1993, Mercury stations uh, direct by secondary progression at 11 degrees of Aquarius. And then shortly after that, within a year, Venus stations by 1994 at five degrees of Aquarius. So he has this very rare thing happen where he has not just one planet station by secondary progression, but two planets in relatively quick succession stationed by secondary progression um, in his chart. And what happened at this time is that he um, met Ellen Black and he attended his first Project Hindsight Conclave, where they were in the early phases of revising or re reviving ancient astrology and discovering or rediscovering Hellenistic astrology in the early phases of this translation project that started in the early to mid 1990s. And for him, discovering Hellenistic astrology was like a huge life changing moment because he felt like he found the type of astrology that he was always looking for that tended to be a bit more, more concrete and more predictive. And then additionally, he became very enamored with some of the leaders of Project Hindsight, like Robert Schmidt, and became a close associate of Project Hindsight and became so close that he learned Hellenistic astrology and then eventually became somebody that would, um, he gave this famous intro to Hellenistic astrology lecture with his flip chart, which is basically what I posted a version of in that podcast episode in episode 250. And he ended up giving that lecture when he was sent to a Northwest astrology conference in like the year 2000 or 2001 or 2002. And he gave that lecture at a conference as an impromptu thing after hours with a bunch of Kepler College students that were sitting around in a bar. And it impressed them so much and impressed Demetra George, who was in attendance at that lecture so much that she decided to go off to Project Hindsight to study Hellenistic astrology with Alan and Robert Schmidt. And then eventually she helped to spur the revival of Hellenistic astrology further by developing a course on it at Kepler. And that's how I learned Hellenistic astrology and everything else. But it all flows from so so to whatever extent, like Holstein houses and sect and perfections and zodiac releasing and all that other stuff has become so popular over the past decade through my work or Demetra's work or other people influenced by Project Hindsight. It all goes back to this super important turning point that occurred to some extent in Alan's life um, when those two planets stationed direct by secondary progression. So it's clearly indicating a major turning point in his life in the mid 1990s, and we can say that definitely took place. I think. Yeah, does, and he does was, that make I, I also 
I also met Alan in a bar. <laughs> um, he was at his best in a bar. It was uh, uh, an astrocartography conference in Williamsburg, Virginia in June of 1999. And uh, yeah, nighttime at the bar after the conference, and he was there holding court, uh, talking about Hellenistic astrology, really probably an identical experience that I had, whatever it was, two, three years before uh, you did. And I was just so intrigued with this guy. And as it happened, the first Einstein intensive at Project Hindsight was happening the following weekend. And um, yeah, so one thing led to another and I was there. Wow. wow. I feel I feel like I missed out on Alan White, but I do love that video that you released, Chris. That was really awesome. And yeah, what he said about the sign of cancer being co-ruled by the sun, that just like stuck with me and I've just been questioning it ever since. So if you haven't checked it out, go watch that video. But yeah, that's so that's so powerful when you get two planets stationing in your chart within such a short time. Um, you know, you could of course look at the archetypes of the planets and pick those apart. So in Alan's example, there was the Venus, there was the community element that um that you know he he got at project hindsight but also um mercury which deals of course with perception and ideas and education and you know combining forces on this project where in this case it, they both stationed in aquarius yeah that's a good point and yeah. so there's a bunch of different sort of factors that you can take into account about um, how it relates to the birth chart and houses that are ruled and other things like that that can provide more detail and more background information. And I know we're going to draw that out in even further chart examples here in the future. And one of the things that's interesting also about this example is that this happened. So Alan was born in 1942, and yep. these, station, yep. these stations are happening around 1994. So how old was he? He was like in his 50s then? Uh, so in 94, yeah, he's he's in his mid-50s, exactly. Yeah. So that's really also important because these stations can happen, you know, early in the life, they can happen in mid in the life, or in some instances, like for him, it happened yeah. somewhat relatively late in the life, but nonetheless can still indicate such a pivotal turning point, you know, happening at whatever stage of the life that it occurs. So that's an interesting thing to think about in terms of personalizing the technique and where these things will occur. Um, is it can occur very early or very late, which can set up some very right. different scenarios. Um, yeah, so this is only that's 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 a good point. Um, I don't know if we'll um, get around to talking about him, but uh, Muhammad Ali, the boxer, um, was born 16 days after Alan, and because he's younger than Alan, um, he actually had those same secondary progression, uh, secondary progress stations earlier than Alan did at a much earlier stage in his life, um, just as relevant in his own context. Um, Schmidt was actually, Schmidt had been a young boxer, Robert Schmidt had been a boxing enthusiast. And so Muhammad Ali's chart was one that he and I discussed a lot. And we actually used to compare it to Alan's quite a bit for exactly this reason that, that you have a lot of the same planets in the same um, signs as, as Alan's. Uh, but yeah, it's um, for exactly that reason. For someone who's about just over two weeks younger than Alan, those progressions actually happen sooner in life than they did in Alan's life. Okay. That makes sense because he was born, you said, 17 days later? Yeah. His birthday is January 17th, 1942, and Alan's was January 1st, I believe. 
Okay. So I did my first example. I want to do one example from each of yours next. I mean, do you want to make that your yeah. example or would you rather do another, a different one, Nick? Well, I think, I, I mean, just to, to uh, Ali kind of makes sense. I mean, there's, you know, there's all kinds of ones we can do. We don't necessarily have to cover them, but, but since we're talking about Alan, just to sort of fill out that, that notion and look at those same stations in another chart in a different context, it might be useful. Okay. I don't know. It's um, up to you. As long as we, because I know that was one of the more complicated ones. So as long as we can do it relatively quickly would be my only thing. But if it's going to be, I think I can, I, I can do it quickly, especially like it's so much that happens at once. And, and I, you know, there's, there's the long version and there's the short version. I think, I mean, the thing about Ali is obviously he's, he's world famous. Uh, in his time, he was one of the most famous people on the globe right. uh, because he was a true international star. He wasn't just someone who was famous in the United States. He's world famous in Africa and Asia. There's a very funny story. What I've, I've read a bunch of books about Ali. And uh, one of the authors was at a cricket game in Sri Lanka. And he was sitting next to a Sri Lankan guy. And the Sri Lankan guy says, well, what do you do? He says, I'm a writer. Oh, what do you write about? Oh, I'm writing um, a biography of Muhammad Ali. And the Sri Lankan guy says, oh, he was a Sri Lankan. And, and the author goes, no, no, you don't understand. I'm talking about the American boxer. And it goes, yes, yes, he's a Sri Lankan. He was made an honorary citizen of Sri Lanka oh, so many years ago. So wow. um, that's, that's how famous Muhammad Ali is. Um, it's a great little, you know, it just illustrates um, exactly how famous he is. Do you have his chart there? Yeah. So here's his birth chart, uh, January 17th, 1942. So yeah, and Alan was born, what, January 1st? January 1st, yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about exactly. six, so, 16 days later. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can see that that Venus retrograde on the descendant. He's born just a few days after the Venus retro. So Alan, Alan would have had the progressed Venus station retrograde by secondary progression, whereas Ali is born with the Venus retrograde. But you're still going to get the interior conjunction and, and the direct station. Um, and we can so, see I mean, there's, there's a, in the bottom right corner, in that little box, we can see it says Venus stationed retrograde five days prior before the birth. And over on the right side in the far right column, it says Mercury's next station is 14 days after the birth, and Venus will station 36 days uh, after the birth. Jupiter 18. Yeah, Jupiter 18, Saturn 5, Uranus 16. So you see, there's a lot there. There right. are a lot of stations, uh, and there's a big cluster of them. Now, I, I'm not going to get into everything. Basically, um, Ali gets interested in boxing when he's 12 years old, a little bit before most of those stations. His bike gets stolen, and he tries to report it to the police, and, and the policeman he speaks to actually teaches people the box, and so he gets interested in it. And within a couple of years, when those progressions are happening, he's becoming a Golden Globes tra uh, champion, right when like the... Uh, the Mercury and the Uranus stations are happening. And then when Jupiter stations, when he's 18, he becomes an Olympi Olympic gold medalist. Um, and then just, I'm going to jump ahead. You notice that the Venus- Do you know what year that was? When was he 18? Uh, uh, 1960. 1960. He's, he's at the 1960 games in, in Rome. And uh, he, he wins the gold medal. That's when his progressed Jupiter stations direct. Okay, there it um, is. So Jupiter and, station direct in 1960. They're at 11 Gemini. And he's yeah a gold medalist. Okay, and he's yeah he's winning the gold medal, and then um, the, the Venus going direct when he's thirty six that corresponds to nineteen seventy eight, which is a very important year in Ali's life. 
in February, I think February, January, February of 78, he loses to a boxer named Leon Spinks. He's already won the heavyweight championship twice, which is already a record. No one's won it twice, but he loses to Leon Spinks. And then there's a rematch at the end of the year around November, if I remember correctly, October, November of 78. And he beats Leon Spinks at the age of 36. I mean, people think he's really has been by this point, but he actually beats Leon Spinks and wins the heavyweight championship a third time, right when that Venus is stationing direct. Um, and that's really like sort of a, an ultimate um, peak for him. Um, and that the Venus retrograde on the descendant is also very, you know, just so much about Ali's life operated around the, 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 the cycle of, the, the, of, of Venus. Uh, three of his four marriages occurred during Venus retrogrades, and the fourth one was very, very close to one. Uh, you know, I could go on and on, but you can see that's it's another example. And when he defeated Spinks, Venus was was retrograde in the same Venus retrograde in Scorpio that his bike had been stolen <laughs> under 24 years ago, and he'd had his first boxing boxing match under and, and what have you. So it's a it's a very interesting way of of looking at the the sort of the external. Um, transit cycles uh, in correspondence with the internal clock of, of the secondary progressions. And the fact that that Venus um, stations direct by secondary progression right at that age is, is really, really striking. If you know, his uh, if you know, his life story. Sure. Yeah, and on the descendant, the point of um, opponents, but I think if, if I remember correctly, Nick too, the, the Jupiter station when he was 18, was that when he got drafted as well? And then he that's said, "That's much later." Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. later. That's that's okay. that's later. That's after he's won the the championship. Um, the, he's first turned down for the draft um, because he was a high school dropout. He wasn't considered. You know, his IQ wasn't high enough, even though he was this really articulate and verbal guy. Um, so he was initially turned down for the draft for that. But then he they they changed the standard. A year or two later, and it's officially—it's actually during a Venus retrograde in Aquarius in January of '66 that he first says he's not going to, uh, um, you know, sign on to the draft. When they first try to draft him, and reporters say, you know, are you going to do it? And he says, no. He has that famous line, uh, "No Viet Cong ever called me blah blah blah," uh, and uh, yeah. And then it's a year later, leading into the next Venus retrograde, when he actually flat out refuses but by that point it's uh -huh. it's it's understood so yeah that's just another example he it doesn't it doesn't necessarily correspond to a, a progress station when he does that but there is the the venus retrograde in aquarius the same cycle he's boy he's just turning 24 and they're trying to draft him basically okay yeah okay okay cool. so that's a good example and good parallel in terms of both Alan and Muhammad Ali yeah. as being important turning points in the life when those planets stationed by secondary progression but how much being born just 17 days apart can move when those take place by years and years and years. Um, all right. So I'd like to let's do a couple of your examples, Catherine. Um, I mean, one of them that was really good. I don't know if you want to do hers first, but um, you pointed out Taylor Swift had, had a good, impressive one. I don't think that was me, but that there was me. There okay, you were the, I'm sorry. I thought you were the Taylor Swift fan, Nick. Um, what, what's one of your favorite examples that you want to share? Let's Catherine? talk about Gordon Ramsay. Okay, I can I can talk about Gordon Ramsay and his chart all day. I I love him and I love his chart, and he's got some really great secondary progress station examples. Um, here it is. All right. So when he's 17, if you notice in the box, Mercury 
and Saturn are going to station by secondary progression 17 days after he's born. Okay. And these and both, both are retrograde in his birth chart. Oh, yeah. So they're stationing direct. So they're stationing direct. Okay. Now, these two planets are really interesting because Mercury rules his ascendant and Saturn rules his midheaven. So this is going to be a really powerful event because not only do they rule the angles, but you have two planets stationing at the exact same time. So what happens is, is that Gordon has scholarships to go to college and he is set to be a pro football player. And what happens is, is that he sustains an injury and he cannot play. So therefore, he has to change his entire plan for his future. And he ends up working at a five-star hotel kitchen, realizes he has a knack for cooking and gets some training by one of these big name chefs. And the rest is history. Wow. Okay. And so he was born in 66? Mm-hmm. And then, so he was 17 years old. So what year was that? Here, let's Six, see. 83. Yeah. There it is. So just animating the chart. And we see um, Mercury and Saturn are retrograde. Mercury's at 17 Scorpio and Saturn's at 22 Pisces. And then, bam, they both station direct in those same degrees over that span of like a of a year or two by secondary progression in the mid 1980s it looks like you should go to 1984 because of course since he's born in november mm -hmm. if you go since you're set for march you, yeah there you are now you're you're on it there we go i was just i was adding 17 to 1966 but if he's born in november then you're looking at early november yeah that makes sense okay so this was the important turning point for him where he got into cooking yeah yeah. So, and then of course, he's become known worldwide as like a famous sort of top tier chef, as well as um, a celebrity chef who's, who's done like a ton of television shows and documentaries and other things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if I may, I have one other really good example from Gordon. Sure. This is a really powerful one. So, his Pluto stations retrograde. Um, Let's see here, around 2010, I want to say. So it's direct um, earlier in his life, but then it starts slowing down and it stations around 2010 at 20 degrees of Virgo. Yeah. And what happens is, is he's filming an episode of The F Word and he plunges 85 feet into icy water while puffin fishing and the weight of his clothes and his boots. It's, you know, he was out in the element. So he was wearing a lot of layers and he just, he describes the event as just feeling like his lungs were filling with water. And he says he felt like he was a goner. So he had a near death experience when Pluto stationed. And while we don't know personally, um, his take his big takeaways from that i'm guessing because it's a pluto station in by secondary progression that it was pretty major mm. right and there was like a lawsuit afterwards yeah during this time he was also other plutonian themes he had like a as he described a manipulative ceo who was kind of embezzling money from him and so, yeah, that was a long, drawn-out lawsuit, and that, of course, concluded when his Uranus, his progressed Uranus, stationed 
um, I believe, direct. And um, it was during that time that he also he also secured two Guinness World Records for shortest time to fry a 10-pound fish and also longest pasta sheet rolled in 60 seconds. Okay, wow. <laughs> the yeah. man is a god. He is. He's a legend. He's born on a Venus Kazemi, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really good. So that brings us back to one bullet point that we might want to emphasize, especially with that very first example of when he had two planets station in the same year, both Mercury and Saturn when he was 17. And that was like a major life-changing moment of his his life was sort of headed in one direction. And then all of a sudden there was like a like a U-turn, like a retrograde U-turn, and all of a sudden it was headed in a different direction. So one of the things I think we can take from that, as well as the Alan White example, is if you have a year where there's one planet that's stationing retrograde, that's going to show an important year in your life and a turning point. But if you have two or sometimes even more planets stationing retrograde or direct relatively close together within a year or two, then that's going to show an even more potentially important turning point in the native's life than if it's just one planet stationing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. And I know there. I'll have another example of that that I'll, I'll introduce with Joe Biden as one of my next examples. But um, yeah, so those are, those are really good examples. Did you have that kind of reminds me a little bit of the Britney Spears example. Which one of you? That was yours, Catherine? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why don't we do that one really quickly just because it's relatively straightforward and kind of kind of topical? Yeah. So Britney Spears, her Venus is going to station retrograde when she's 29 years old. And this brings us up to... Uh, 2010, 2009, somewhere around there. And this is when her life is just kind of breaking down. She has the big divorce with Kevin Federline. And Venus at this point is stationing retrograde in her fifth house. So there's also custody issues going on. Also, as an artist, the fifth Venus in the fifth house is relevant. Like, she literally shifts gears in terms of her expression. And that can be also interpreted as Venus is her ascendant ruler. She is Libra rising. And Venus is natally in her fourth house in a square to Saturn and Pluto. So this is the conservatorship happening. This is the control implemented by her father and by the state. So that was a very big deal. And of course, other Venusian themes is she didn't have control over her finances anymore or her autonomy with Venus ruling her first house. So that's a very big secondary progression that I have found. Yeah. So here's her progress chart and just backing it up to the mid 2000s. We can see Venus by secondary progression is in Aquarius, but it's slowing down at eight degrees of Aquarius. And then by yeah, it's just really slow by 2008, 2009, 2010, and we see it stationing there by 2010, 2011 at eight degrees of Aquarius. And that was relatively early in the process of the conservatorship, where after she was dealing with some um, mental health issues, the state awarded or gave basically complete control of her life to her father, which was supposed to be like a temporary measure, but then it ended up becoming this thing where 
he was in full control of her life for over a decade. So um, it ended up later becoming a huge court case. And then recently, just finally over the past two years, that conservatorship after I think more than a decade was eventually ended, I think just in the past year, right? Yeah. And her progressions are are wild through her whole life. They're really, really literal, really cool to look at. So if you're looking at researching someone by secondary progression, Brittany is a really good chart to look at. Okay. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I really like that example because especially because it was Venus, um, which is the ruler of her ascendant. And because that Venus placement as the ruler of the ascendant was in her fourth house and squaring natally Saturn in a night chart as well as Pluto, um, which really drew out a lot of those themes in terms of those issues of you know, her father, her parents, fourth house issues, and then control and issues of self and self-determination, as well as mental health and things like that with Saturn and Pluto in the first. It's interesting that a lot of that really came to the forefront and became indicated a major turning point in her life that lasted for over a decade when Venus slowed down and stationed retrograde by secondary progression. So that's that's a very like powerful example, I think, in that instance. Oh yeah. 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 And there's um just to add to that, when uh, for an example to combine progressions with transits, um, as you might remember, I mean that the sort of the the most visible the moment when the public realized that Brittany was in a lot of trouble was in February of two thousand seven, when she famously sort of, you know, um, flipped a switch, if you will, um, shaved her head, um, did you know, just sort of got into all kinds of um, um, public, really embarrassing public um, situations, wound up in rehab. And if you look at that period in February of 2007, I remember this very well, I was studying her chart quite closely at the time, um, transiting Pluto was in Sagittarius, um, square transiting Venus in Pisces, making a sort of resonance, a recurrence to her natal Venus-Pluto square. And of course, by that, that point, even though her progressed Venus wasn't it hadn't totally just stopped yet. It's already, you know, it's still two, three years away from the actual progress station, but it's slow enough. And and the fact that you have that same Pluto squaring to Venus that she has in her natal chart, that you could really just see everything coming apart there and then, and everything that followed really connects to that period of time. Prior to that, I mean, she, she'd she had some troubles, but it, it wasn't, you know, it, it just involved... She she was partying a lot with Paris Hilton and stuff like that and, and Lindsay Lohan. So it was just kind of like, oh, okay, it's just a pop star, you know, bl- blowing off some steam. But then February of 2007 was when everyone realized, oh, no, no, this is a young person in a lot of trouble. And um, yeah, and everything that followed, I, I would say, uh, stems from that period. Yeah. So go ahead, Catherine. Just a lot of Pluto, just a lot of Pluto transits, yeah. as you mentioned. And then even in her progressions, her progressed ascendant conjoins with Pluto in her chart during that time, too. And then her ascendant actually switches into Scorpio when she kind of goes more under the radar. Mm. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's a really important point that, you know, this is not. The only technique, there's many other techniques that are going to also show overlapping periods like transits or some time lord techniques like perfections or zodiac releasing. And sometimes it's um, when all of these techniques are, are 
together pointing to specific periods of time that you really get some of the most defining events in a person's life. So it is something that you you want to take into account in concert with other techniques. Um, but just in and of itself, even this alone, looking for stationary planets and how quick and easy it is to identify certain years of the life when planets station retrograde or direct makes it a really useful and simple but powerful timing technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. W- one last note, I remember that basically her career began in 1999 as Pluto was conjuncting her son. So that in its own way, if you want to go even a little further back, uh, uh, anticipates everything that that's going to happen to her because when she first comes out, she's literally playing, you know, a high school girl, and 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 uh, she goes from that sort of image down the, you know, down the tunnel to adulthood right before the public's eyes, um, leading up to ultimately that the, the events we've already discussed. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, All just right. to, to, the combining transits with with like I said, I, I consider secondary progressions to be a sort of adjunct. Uh, uh, to the to the transit technique and a form of internal clock transits. Hundred yeah. percent agree. Yeah. Yeah. Transits can act as a long transit as well, or that's one way you can conceptualize secondary progressions as a long transit, um, because there's different way to, ways to look at secondary progressions. We can look at progressed planets to natal planets in the birth chart. So. Um, you know, one of the things that sometimes comes up is if a secondary progressed planet stations, and it's also aspecting closely the exact degree of a natal planet, a planet in the birth chart, that can be very important. Um, Additionally, with secondary progressions, you want to look at progressed planets when they make aspects, exact aspects to other progressed planets, and that can indicate important timeframes or years in the native's life, which then can also overlap with this technique of stations. And all of this can just um, accentuate state, accentuate the stations and make them more important or put even more exclamation marks next to them. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Now, I, I think you, you brought up Taylor Swift already, and I think she's the perfect segue from Britney for a few reasons, not just because she's a pop star and a woman, but she's born almost exactly eight years after Britney and has the same uh, uh, imminent Venus retrograde station, only it happens at a very different stage in her life. And in some ways, she's the anti-Britney uh, in the way that she's um, it, it achieved her independence in a, through a different route, through a less sort of uh, um, uh, controlled route, shall we say, a, l- a less Plutonian route. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I forgot you were a Swifty. So for the Swifty fans out there, we'll put up Taylor's chart. And so here's her chart with Scorpio. And this is reliable data. That's one of the things we're, for the most part, we're trying to focus on reliable charts. I mean, it is interesting and worth mentioning that with this technique, you can, uh, for many of these planets, there's wiggle room where you don't necessarily have to have a birth time. And that's one of the cool things about this technique is that because it's more or less being calculated with kind of like a year orb um, and stations are things that happen very slowly days after the birth. Um, it's one of those techniques that you can do still pretty accurately, even without a birth time. Absolutely. Right. Um, and, and with Taylor Swift, indeed, we have conflicting, we have two birth times that have been proposed for her. Um, one of them seems more likely because 
the source also cites the correct hospital she was born in, whereas the other one gives a time and, and states some other hospital that she was not born in. But um, like you're saying, the beauty of this technique is regardless of which birth time is accurate, or if neither of them is accurate, no matter what, the point we're about to make about her um, progress stationing Venus uh, remains the same, falls in the same sort of timeline. Uh, if you want to put her chart up, uh, I'll talk you through it. So she is born eight years after Brittany, but her, her birthday's a little later in December. And therefore, her Venus station occurs, it says here, 15 days after she's born. It's about, yeah, 15, 16. It's really more like 16 because it, it she winds up just shy of turning 16 when she records her very first album. And what said the last four months of 2005. Um, so she would have turned 16 in, in December of 2005. So, the la- so between September and December of 2005, she's recording her very first record, which is going to, it's going to be released the following year, but this is when it's all coming together. She gets this big record contract. She's only, you know, she's going on 16. And um, this is when her progress Venus stations retrograde. Now she's she's a she's a different artist than Britney because she's she's a singer songwriter. I mean, Britney was was uh, sort of a pop star performer, but she didn't necessarily you know she wasn't sitting down at the piano and uh, writing these very deep personal sort of songs. It was more of a yeah. I think you should be careful. Let's like, be careful about getting the comparisons. I don't want to like uh, get into any flame wars with like fan bases. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ears. We'll just <laughs> well, focus on I, yeah. I'm, focus on this I'm chart. I'm not trying to say one is better than the other. I'm just describing a, a sort of a difference in the in the in the kind of artist they are, or how they they went about their art. The, I'm just the saying, point, as a Britney Britney fan, slightly personally offended, but <laughs> let's let's just move on. <laughs> Chris, I tell you what, you and I dress up as Britney and Taylor, and we'll have a wrestling match. Okay, <laughs> okay, okay. That's going to be an after hours we'll the, like exactly, private exactly. podcast for patrons only. Uh, right, exactly. De- <laughs> definitely pa- patron high high tier patron benefit. Even I would pay to see that. Um, no, just my my point being, um, you know, she records records of of songs that she's written. Um, and her and that Venus stationing retrograde when she's 15 going on 16 is beginning this recording career of music that really has uh, a very powerful Venus retrograde theme to it. All kinds of things from, um, you know, her her love life, obviously. And and uh, and she's also someone who, like Britney, but in a very different way, has had to fight for um, control of her art and, and her life. So, um, that's true. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, that's amazing. Right. Right. Just the interesting contrast with Brittany more than, than the, the wrestling match that we're going to have is that (laughs) she had the station at the very sort of beginning of her recording career as, as opposed to in Brittany's case, we see it happening, uh, if not the end of her recording career at the sort of the, the tail end of her, uh, uh, pop stardom arc. Yeah. So what we're seeing here, too, is themes around artistry with Venus for those who are artists. So I I find, too, that um, when a planet stations, whether it's really pertinent to your chart because it rules an angle or maybe it's really relevant because you are an artist in Venus stations or you're a writer in Mercury stations, those stations can be really powerful depending on what kind of field that you're in. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I was looking it up, and it looks like her first album was 
released October of 2006. So yeah, her so her progressed Venus station within a year of her releasing her first album and and when she was yeah. recording it. So that was the beginning of her career and now she's she's released like what like a dozen albums or how many albums is she even up to at this point? Like quite a quite a few. Yeah, yeah, it's it's coming up to 10 and now she's re-recorded some of her early records in order to uh re- retain the 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 rights and and uh the revenue that the that these recordings, the older recordings, she wasn't um, getting the same kind of revenue from them. So yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's an amazing example, and that was the start of a, a long and very successful career. Um, yeah. As as a musician and as an artist, so that's a great example of just secondary progressed planet stationing, super important turning point in the person's life. So it also bears bringing up another really important point here that. We need to underline, which is that it doesn't really matter necessarily, even though you might think it it should or might, whether the planet stations by secondary progression retrograde or direct. And it's not necessarily always negative if the planet stations retrograde, and it's not necessarily always better if the planet's stationing direct. Um, So I, I think I would encourage people to avoid putting sort of labels or or worrying about or thinking that there's something negative about the planet stationing retrograde by secondary progression because as we can see here that was a very positive turning point in Taylor Swift's life and and we can see that in other examples as well so one of the important interpretive points in this technique is just that um it, it's not that it's necessarily positive or negative whether it's stationing retrograde or direct it's just that it it indicates an important pivot or turning point in the native's life at that point in time I, I fully agree, um, but not just that. It's also, you know, life is never just good or just bad. Um, Taylor Swift beginning a recording career also means suddenly a life with no privacy, with a lot of uh, exposure and stress and and pressure. Whereas Britney sort of letting go of her career, even though there's a lot of tragedy behind it, there's also a relief that she's no longer underneath the same kind of scrutiny and pressure and what have you. So there's always a mixed bag too. You, you know, just because it looks to us like Taylor's experience is good and Britney's experience is bad and that's um, empirically true, there's also a sort of, there's always an undercurrent that, that might be flowing the other way. Absolutely. Mm. And this this reminds me of another point, too, is that progressions are extremely personal. You know, in terms of transits, we, we can all experience them collectively at the same time. But progressions are so personal. Not everyone is going to experience a stationary progressed Pluto, for example, or Venus, which is incredibly rare. Um, most people will experience at least one station from Mercury. Although if you're born right after Mercury stations direct, you're probably not going to live to see that. But most people will experience Mercury um, station at some point. And yeah, I would agree. I don't I don't find a huge difference between the planet stationing retrograde or direct. I wish I could, but I can't. So yeah, it, for me, it just looks like a significant emphasis or turning point for the person. Yeah, that makes sense. And so Mercury is the planet that in the sky, it stations retrograde and direct the most frequently every like three months. So that's why everyone will usually, most people will experience at least a Mercury station at some point in their life. But Venus doesn't go retrograde as often. It's what, once every year and a half or something, Nick? Yeah, every 18, 19 months, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So some people 
by secondary progression since you know it's just a day per year and you're only looking at you know the first month after your life is the first 30 years and the second month is up to 60 years uh, some people will never experience venus stationing retrograde or direct by secondary progression and the same with the other planets that move even slower and station less and less frequently mhm mm yeah yeah um, all right, so that's a really important point. Okay, those are great examples. Um, what is our who? The last one was Taylor, and that was yours, Nick. So, Catherine, what what's your next example? So, if we could do one more Venus, uh, that would be cool. There's someone who comes to mind, and that's Stevie Nicks. This is a cool one. Okay, let me see if I have her birth data. Yeah, she and Christine McVie were the two Venus retrograde members of the, the famous Fleetwood Mac lineup. Oh, really? I didn't realize Christine yeah. had it too. Yeah, Christine is also a, a Venus retrograde person. Oh. Uh, and so yeah, what a, what a Venus retrograde band. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Although, mind you, mind you, ABBA had three out of four members uh, are Venus retrograde people in ABBA, and they're also, you know, they, they qualify. Uh, and the pantheon of seventies Venus retrograde heartbreak bands, but anyway, let's wow. let's focus on the on the Fleetwoods. Yeah. That could be a whole other topic. Yeah, um, it, yeah, it, actually, it is. That's going to be one one of my video essays is about. Um, this is a little way down the line, but um, bands that had spouses and siblings, and there's a lot of Venus retrograde stuff going on. Three out of four members in Van Halen were Venus retrograde. Um, um, there's all kinds of. Uh, um, uh, Credence Clearwater Revival, three out of four of them were Venus retrograde. And there's, there's siblings or there's spouses. And yeah, it, it's a very interesting topic. Uh, Bee Gees, wow. that's another one. Uh, Bee Gees, um, Venus retrograde all around, uh, except for Barry, who's just outside uh, the Venus retrograde. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a fascinating topic. Sorry. Yes. Uh, let's get back to it. Let's get back yeah. to it. Interesting. Okay. So, so here's the chart. So yes. do you want to describe any important points about the chart before we get into the progression? Yeah, so Venus is going to station retrograde when she is almost eight years old. This is a big deal because Venus is conjunct an angle in her chart. So we could do natal delineations of that. You know, she's a she's a vocalist. She's an artist. She's known for her style too. And, That's and another... for the people just listening to the audio version of this, what angle is it conjunct? Uh, the IC. Okay. And Venus holds triplicity in Cancer, so she's strongly placed um, the benefic of sect as well. So Venus is going to station retrograde when she is set between seven and eight years old. Um, I don't have an exact event for that, although I do know that Stevie learned to sing from her grandfather when she was young. So we, we could correlate um, that there's some sort of connection there with her discovering a talent for music, perhaps at a young age. But what we do know is that when Venus ends up stationing direct in 1998, she's age 50, she is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Fleetwood Mac, becoming the first female to be inducted twice. So she was first inducted as a solo artist and then for the second time at age 50. So she's breaking a record here. And where that kind of comes from is that Venus is stationing direct in a conjunction with Uranus in her birth chart. So there's, I often find that progressions that involve Uranus can often carry a quality of, of shattering ceilings, if you will. So she is 
now the first female inductee twice. Wow. Okay. And so in her birth chart, it looks like Uranus is at 25 degrees of Gemini, early 25 Gemini, and Venus by secondary progression stations around the middle of 24 Gemini. So it's closely conjunct Uranus in the birth chart. And then even by secondary progression, since Uranus is so slow moving by second progression, secondary progression, Uranus is only up to 27 degrees of Gemini. Um, so it's still, Venus is even basically secondary progressed Venus is still closely conjunct secondary progressed Uranus as well. Yes. Cool. Yeah. All right. That's a really good, really good example. Um, all right. Well, so we've done a lot of sort of musicians and pop stars at this point. Why don't we shift? I, actually, I got to get some of my examples. I'm switching back and forth between you. I'd like to switch to some politicians. Yeah. Um, because there's kind of a string, there's been a string of some pretty interesting political ones, especially in the US, for people that we have birth times for um, over the past several years. Um, one of them is Barack Obama, um, who has Aquarius rising and Jupiter in um, early Aquarius in the first house, the first whole sign house, and Saturn up in. Capricorn in the twelfth house. Um, he was born just slightly after sunset, so there's still a little bit, a bit of ambiguity to me whether he has a day chart or a night chart. Um, but what happened in his life, basically, just to state it very briefly, is that Jupiter um, stationed direct by secondary progression very early on in his presidency, only about a year or two into it. So one of the things that kind of indicated him becoming a president in the early stages of his presidency was that Jupiter stationed direct by secondary progression super close to when he was elected and became president in 2008 and 2009. Um, interestingly, several years later, Saturn stationed direct very late in his presidency by 2016. And this is around the time that he not only, of course, famously left office in 2017, but also there was that sudden upset where uh, Trump uh, became president and ended up winning the election over Hillary Clinton. So there's this really interesting sort of bookmark in terms of the secondary progressions and Jupiter stationing towards the beginning of his presidency and then Saturn stationing towards the end of his presidency. Yeah, I love I love that example. I find that Jupiter can sometimes, um, in this case, bring a great quality of presence and illumination. And Jupiter can sometimes have that celebrity swag, you know. So, and also as as you've pointed out multiple times on the podcast, Chris, is that um, the slogan for his election was hope. Right. Yeah, I was just going to say it's so literal. Um, it, it really does bookend his presidency as we know it. And this is true no matter what political stripe you are. It, it bege his, his presidency really began it with a Jupiter theme and really ended on a Saturnian note. Um, you know, um, yeah, it's so literal. It's so, uh, it just slices right through. Very simple, very elegant. Sure. Yeah. And, and Saturn, too, I find when it stations by secondary progression, it can bring a considerable shift to the structure of one's life. Mm. So, yeah, so it just seems like 
okay, I'm not president anymore. What what do I do now? <laughs> so there's like a huge emphasis on how you would like what what do you what do you do after you're president? <laughs> yeah. And there was all sorts of overlapping things as well with um he was having his second Saturn return as Saturn went through Capricorn and it was going through that twelfth house and just it was really interesting watching him go through that period because it was obviously losing the election was such a shock to everybody in 2016 but also that it was somebody who was kind of like you know to whatever extent one can have like enemies which is traditionally associated with the 12th house i think trump and the famous conflicts between an antagonist, Obama. certainly yeah an antagonist of yeah, antagonism and and the famous like the birther controversy was part of how trump originally got Popular in political circles through alleging that Obama wasn't born in the United States and that his birth certificate was false and things like that. So, to have one of sort of Obama's political enemies become the next president and take over for him was a really interesting thing to witness during that few year period of Saturn going through Capricorn and through his 12th house and Obama experiencing his second Saturn return in the 12th house um, with Saturn ruling his ascendant. As well as, but just seeing that the secondary progression of Saturn stationing was layered on top of that just adds an additional layer of emphasis to that as well. So, um, one other political one that's really impressive and important that I want to share really quickly um, is Joe Biden's chart, uh, because his was one that was really unique and spectacular over the past few years because he had not just one. Not just two, but actually three planets stationing by secondary progression recently. Um, and let me pull up his progress chart. So here's his chart, and and of course, you know, Biden is pretty late in life at this point. He, how like what? How old is he at this point? He was 70, born seventy nine. Um, seventy nine, and was he elected the oldest like first term president? Yeah. I want to say. Yeah, yeah, and the interesting thing about seventy nine, just as an aside, is um, your seventy ninth solar return, which of course you know um, um, would be his last one. Um, you always get your closest Mars return and a Mercury return in the solar return. If if you follow, if you catch my drift, you get simultaneous Mars and Mercury returns in the solar return, and it's the closest one at, at seventy nine. The Mars return and the solar return will be about within about four degrees, four zodiacal degrees from the natal Mars, which is mm. as close as you get. Mars is a very tricky asymmetrical planet to to get sort of elegant returns out of, and it really does take seventy nine years. Unlike say with Venus, the way you get an eight year uh, approximate return every eight years throughout the lifetime, um, it. You don't get one until seventy nine with with Mars, one that's that close zodiacally. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to get back to the example, what ended up happening is very late in his life, in early twenty twenty, um, Mercury by secondary progression stationed direct in a in uh, Biden's chart at twenty four degrees of Capricorn. So this is early in twenty twenty. Um, in the year that later in that year he, you know, would become president, and and by early 2020 he's starting to pull ahead and um, in the in the primaries in order to become the Democratic nominee for the presidency, and then um, later that year, 
later in 2020, what happened is that Saturn stationed um, as well. It stationed direct in his chart by secondary progression in late 2020, right before the election. And then he was elected president and became president shortly after that. And what's weird is that he has one more secondary progression, secondary progress stationing that's happening right now. Um, you know, only what a year into his presidency, where Uranus is stationing um, direct in 2021 and 2022. So within a year, basically, of becoming president, he had three planets stationing direct in his birth chart by secondary progression. Um, you know, clearly, if if you were, let's say, this person was like just born. You know, you're an astrologer back in the 1940s or back in um, what's his exact birthday is November 20th, 1942. Um, you know, Joe Biden's mom comes to you as an astrologer and says, "Here's the birth data. My child was just born. What what does it look like? The most important year of his life will be." And astrologer like looks at their ephemeris and they say, "Well, it looks like when he's you know 78, 79 years old, there's going to be three planets that will all station direct." At that time, and so the astrologer could very simply say, if he, you know, lives to be that long, um, one of the most important turning points in his life will happen very late in his life, around the year 2020. And if the astrologer was to say that and to make that prediction, it would turn out to be stunningly accurate, and he would later go on to be, you know, elected as the oldest um, president at the time. What a what a time to be president, too. Yeah, that that Uranus station. I guess we'll have to see um, what happens. Although with the orb being so wide, um, you know, sometimes it's also hard to discern it while you're in it. When the mm. when the event is happening, it's it can be harder to pinpoint. But a few years from now, we'll be able to look at that and say, oh, that's exactly what that was. But I mean, the Uranus station, we could look at that as like he. We're dealing with the pandemic, and now there's this conflict going on in the world, and that's a lot on his plate. So you want to talk Uranus? We can talk about stress. <laughs> that's one way that it's kind of showing up at this point. Yeah. The, the thing is, of course, Uranus these days is in Taurus, and it's coming up to opposition to you know his his Scorpio stuff. Oh, yeah. um, and speaking of his antagonist, the same one Obama had, his antagonist happens to have the Sun conjunct Uranus. Mm -hmm. um, his antagonist is one of the most Uranian <laughs> people I've seen in my astrological life. I'm talking, of course, about Mr. 45, um, yeah. possibly Mr. 47. Um, so yeah, I, I would say, I mean, this is the thing, the way everything's sort of shaping up. Um, it wouldn't surprise me that when Biden's Uranus does station, uh, that it does involve Trump in some weird way because he's such an agent. He's just an obvious one uh, that you know the, the obvious one to think of because he's uh, he's a walking Uranus. <laughs> he is. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there's other um, Uranian sort of unexpected things that can happen and that uh, can come up during the course of this time period that have already started to happen, such as the war in Ukraine and. Um, you know the exit from Afghanistan, which was also somewhat chaotic and was happening around the time of a Uranus, some major Uranus stuff, a Uranus station. That was one of the primary things that was happening in August, um, and other. You know, with Uranus, you always expect the unexpected and expect unexpected disruptions that sometimes come out of 
of nowhere and can you know remove the foundation from everything. So we'll see what happens with that. But nonetheless, um, really good example of somebody having not even just two like we've seen before, but having three planets stationing and that indicating um, when he became president. Somewhat similar to the way that Obama's Jupiter station was very close to when he became president. Indeed, indeed. Um, you know, w- when we were preparing for this episode, I went ahead and I looked at the secondary progress stations of every single president in U.S. history. Um, Whoa! <laughs> why? <laughs> yeah, I looked at all um, all of them, um, and there are two presidents who had Pluto make a progress station during their presidency. And they're really, really striking. One is Richard Nixon, who literally had secondary progress Pluto make a station in August of 1974. So that's one of those really, that is the month he resigned with an impending impeachment. Uh, The other one is John Tyler, uh, who had secondary Pluto make a, a, a Pluto make a secondary progress station in 1842, um, when he uh, he almost got impeached. They didn't. The, he, they were talking about doing it, but they realized it would break up the party. But his entire cabinet resigned, and he like he he lost his party. His party abandoned him while he's president. Only one of his ministers uh, um, stayed on his cabinet. So it was it was a, a very different kind of impeachment, and really. When you think about it, even though you know uh, uh, Johnson, Clinton, and Trump have have gone through the formal impeachment process, it didn't really, you know, certainly in, in Clinton and, and Trump's cases, it didn't really tarnish them. Clinton's popularity went up, and Trump it certainly didn't affect his base. But when you're talking about presidents who went through a Plutonian experience. During their presidency, I think Tyler and and uh, Nixon make excellent examples because they're really just abandoned by everyone. Um, um, you know, Tyler finishes his term, but really, you know, in in utter disgrace. Um, you know, worse than most. So yeah, worse worse shape than than Clinton or or Trump in terms of popularity and support. So yeah, that's an interesting one. You don't need to pull up the charts. I just wanted to introduce that as an aside since we're. Yeah, in order to to get through a bunch of because we have a ton of other examples, I want to get through them quick in the next thirty minutes. I think I'll just we'll start mentioning them fast without pulling up charts necessarily, but mentioning what the planet was when it's stationed and what the correlating event. So one of the ones I think you pulled up, Nick, and I don't want to get into his chart very much or dwell on it, but I just want to mention since we're talking about Pluto stations that somebody in the news that um, yes. Vladimir with Vladimir Putin. If his birth date is correct, and there's a little bit of a question, of, uh, not just about the time, but potentially about the date. But let's say if it's correct hypothetically that Pluto stationed retrograde very close to when he became president in um, 2000, 2001, basically when he was first inaugurated, Pluto stationed yeah. exact in early 2001. So it was already within a year, basically, of when he was in- first inaugurated. Yeah, yeah, and it's but it, I think it's um, 2001 is still really important for him. First of all, I I don't doubt the birth date at all. I've, I've read so many books. I know there's there's some talk about it, but I don't think it's necessarily credible. Sorry, I, I don't want to go into I don't want to go into events in 2001. I just want to mention in passing that he Pluto stationed okay. yeah, when no, he very close to when he yeah. was inaugurated in two, in May of 2000. Yeah, yeah, um, it's it's a turnaround for him basically. Yeah, yeah. for um, sure. So him, him coming into power, and then Catherine, you had another upcoming uh, example that's kind of important politically. Yeah. So with Pluto, just to kind of segue here, yeah, Pluto 
can very often correspond with big themes of power, um, both physically and in the way that it's wielded. So the one that I want to talk about right now is Kamala Harris. And her Pluto is stationing by secondary progression right now. And we know that this is also during a double Pluto transit that she's having. That's no small feat right there, having Pluto squaring her Aries um, full moon in her chart. So her sun as well. And also during the United States Pluto return when while she's holding office um, in the United States. So this is a very big deal. Um, I suspect that we haven't seen anything yet. Um, I've been waiting and watching her. And um, yeah, I mean, she she is kind of having like a Plutonian experience right now where a lot of people are criticizing her. She's not well liked, um, at least like that's what the rumors are saying. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I suspect we'll see more Plutonian stories. And it's interesting, though, that her station is lining up with Joe Biden. So that is yeah. very yeah. suspect to me. Yeah, that makes me a little nervous. Uh, Biden's Uranus stationing this year and um, her and Harris's Pluto stationing this year, that if there was something that happened to Biden health-wise, and then it sort of puts Harris in suddenly unexpectedly inheriting basically a great deal of power if she became president then um, you know that's a pretty plausible scenario. Uh, not not that anyone's like hoping for that necessarily, but just in terms of the timing lining up between two people's charts. You know, to be honest, yeah, there there I'm, are. Oh, go ahead, Nick. No, what oh, were you no, going to say? Just gonna say her, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Catherine. I, I was just going to say there's a lot. There's a lot of things kind of pointing that way. I think as astrologers, we're all kind of we're we're nervous to talk about it, but I think that's that's a definite possibility there. Um, but. Yeah, actually, I actually forgot what I was going to say now. That's okay. I think you're maybe yeah. mentioning because one, one of the things we mentioned in the year head forecast was just with her. She was born um, at a full moon with uh, the the moon at 27 degrees of Aries and the sun at 27 um, Libra. And so transiting Pluto, you know, being around 26, 27, 28 Capricorn right now is squaring that, which is another. Kind of overlapping theme that doesn't just have to do with sometimes like power and control and and manipulation and issues like that and and forces outside of your control, but sometimes it can also indicate um, tragedies or in some instances having a great deal of power sort of dumped on you um, at a certain period in your life somewhat unexpectedly. Yeah, and I remembered what I was getting at now, Chris. Um, so yeah, her natal Pluto conjoins Uranus in her chart. So there may be a Uranian quality to it, which definitely ties in with Joe Biden's chart too. Mm, okay. Yeah, I was just gonna say her poll numbers are apparently record low. So yeah. it it sort of it, you know, um looking to the the Nixon and Tyler example that I just cited, if something happened and she were to suddenly uh, become president, um, she would be doing it under, you know, sort of, she would, the onus would be on her to really sort of um, prove herself in a way that most vice presidents don't have to when they first come. I mean, Tyler himself became president because he was VP and William Henry Harrison died, but uh, that didn't really help him. So yeah, yeah um, and, sort of and reminds then- us of that. And, and then also the other thing we forgot to mention coming up is that um, I think you pointed this out, Catherine, that secondary progressed Uranus will actually station retrograde in her chart in 2024, right? Precisely. Yeah. So that's one we'll have to sit back and watch. 
Yeah. So that's the next election year coming up in the US. Ooh, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we will we'll save all of that for another episode that's getting into some heavy, <laughs> heavy stuff. Um, I shared my chart and I actually was curious about the two of you, if you feel like sharing, if you've had any secondary progress stations that have coincided with major events or turning points in your life. Nick, do you want to go? <laughs> oh, you don't want to go first? <laughs> oh, I don't mind. I don't mind. <laughs> suddenly we're right. not suddenly we're not competing for microphone time. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, here, let's go, Catherine, you go first. Okay. And yours is pretty pretty good, pretty impressive. It's happened relatively early in your life. Pearl, yeah. Pearls before swine, Catherine. <laughs> no. So yeah, um, one interesting thing to note is that if you have an occidental mercury, your stationary, um, your mercury station is going to come earlier in life than if you have an oriental mercury. So um, yeah, mine of course is an evening star mercury, so it's gonna it's gonna station when I'm 19. Do you mind so, if I share share your chart? Yeah, go for it. Okay, just want to make sure I was asked for permission. Um, and then if you want to just describe a little bit of what you're talking about for the people just listening to the audio version. Yeah. So my Mercury is going to station retrograde when I'm 19. This is going to happen earlier because it's an evening star Mercury. And if you notice, Mercury rule is doesn't roll. It's occupied in my fourth house. So what happens here is that I move. I move to New York City. I decide I previously didn't want to go to college, but now all of a sudden I do. I change careers. I leave my um, career as a hairstylist behind. I move to New York. And something really strange starts to happen because everything I thought I wanted to do starts to shift. And all of a sudden, I one thing leads to another. And I start getting really heavily into my meditation and yoga practice, which ultimately leads me to astrology. Wow. So you yeah. basically when secondary progressed Mercury stationed around age 19, it set up this, it precipitated this sequence of events where you moved and relocated and started having a shift in terms of your focus and interests. And what happened is you you started, you discovered astrology and started getting into that. And then that turned out to be sort of your life's work or life's calling. And you became after that point, eventually an astrologer. Absolutely. Yeah. And Mercury's opposite Jupiter in my chart, which rules my ninth Mercury rules my third, and I have authored a book. So yeah, the writing is a huge part of my of my um, process and Brilliant. media. Mm -hmm. What's the title of your book? Your Astrological Cookbook, The Perfect Recipe for Every Sign, available in fine bookstores everywhere. Only the finest. <laughs> Excellent. Wow, you uh, really you... are a Gordon Ramsay fan, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. That's rising. Great. Yeah. Great book title for Cancer Rising. Okay, cool. You don't have a copy of the book lying around just to see the cover by chance, do you? No. <laughs> now that okay. the baby has taken over, it's just my, I have little offices all over the house. <laughs> sure. Okay. Cool. Um, well, that's a really great example. Thanks Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and Nick, you, did you, yours was also a Mercury example, right? Mine is also a Mercury, the only uh, I was born within a week after a Saturn retrograde station and a Neptune direct station, which cheated me of having more uh, progress stations than perhaps uh, I would want to, or maybe I dodged bullets, uh, depending on your perspective. Uh, but yes, uh, my I, I also have a um, 
an evening star Mercury actually just, well, actually under the beams emerging into an evening star eventually. Um, And uh, my um, progress Mercury stationed retrograde when I was 50, uh, which is only a few years ago. It's uh, the year I got married. That's that's really it. Um, When Mercury uh, made its ingress to Scorpio, um, I was leaving my hometown for good. I moved to another city where I lived for a year. And then um, that was, I moved from Montreal, my hometown to Vancouver. I lived there for a year, just over a year. And then I was invited to uh, an astrology conference in Cape Town, South Africa and loved it so much. I wound up falling in love with the woman who organized the conference and wound up moving here and marrying her. And, uh, and that also, you can see like, I, my my progress Mercury is kind of like yours, Chris, in that the station happens very early in a new sign. Something we haven't mentioned actually, but that we might as well is another thing you want to look for with secondary progressions is uh, progress planets making ingresses into a new sign, or when mm-hmm. they go retrograde, regresses into the previous sign, which is going to happen to both Chris and I in the coming years. So um, as Mercury was moving in, the progress Mercury was moving into Scorpio. Um, I was promoting my astrology book, which is, uh, 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 I'm coming out with a second edition, hopefully next year, um, about Uranus and Gemini, um, which uh, will be a very topical subject right around the time that Kamala's progress Uranus is making its station and her antagonist is, uh, uh, like I said, the poster boy for that transit. Um but yeah, I was promoting the book, and then I moved within a year in a, a, a year of that uh, station. Actually, I moved when there was a Mercury retrograde in Scorpio by transit, which again is part of what I'm I'm talking about in terms of like seeing the progressions coordinate with transit. Even though my progress Mercury hadn't actually made the station just yet, it had ingressed to Scorpio, and in 2014 there was a, a transit, a Mercury retrograde transit in Scorpio, very close to where that Mercury was going to happen if I remember correctly. And, uh, and so, yeah, I moved to Vancouver and uh, I lived there just over, uh, I was there a year when I wound up coming to South Africa first as a visitor um, and then moved here later that year, the later the next year. Yeah. So I think that's pretty, and I want to make sure the it's like emphasized enough, but you're like a lifelong sort of bachelor. Um, You'd never been married, married before. Uh, you're very much focused on astrology and your studies and, and reading biographies of people constantly and looking up charts and studying Venus retrograde and Mars retrograde cycles and very devoted to your your work and not like super I mean you're not like going out and partying like all the time or something like that um, and then you sort of randomly got invited to this astrology conference in South Africa even though you're from Canada and, and we're living in Canada in the US at different points over the past few decades. And you meet this woman, and you fall in love, and move to South Africa, and then the two of you get married in the year, uh, within a year of, of Mercury might, stationing. Of in Mercury your stationing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, prior to meeting Anna, uh, the longest relationship I had ever had was the one I had in high school. In high school, I dated the same girl for three and a half years, which was like a marriage. And when it ended, I, I had the same feeling a lot of people do when marriages end, like, oh, never doing that again, uh, which explains why through the rest of my teens, 20s, 30s, and 40s, um, I, you know, I had had girlfriends, but they were uh, things that, that never got as serious as that. But yeah, um, there I was as my, um, I was just turning 50 and uh, my progressed mercury was stationing and 
yeah, I was finally ready to start acting like a 20 year old as I was turning 15, get married. Yeah. So, I mean, that's brilliant because it's also, you know, in terms of getting married, let's say relative to the average, like a little bit later in life, um, you know, getting married, but it's still indicating an important event when you're turning 50 years old and that being it and being a major turning point in your life. But also that it's, you know, it's Mercury. It's not, it doesn't immediately like jump out to you as the planet signifying marriage or something like that. So, one of the important points I just want to emphasize here is also that. Um, you can't always just assume that the planetary station itself is directly going to symbolize exactly what the event is per se, only that it's going to be a super important turning point in the native's life at that time. That's really the fundamental thing about secondary progressed planetary stations. Definitely Indeed, agree. Mercury, yeah, Mercury doesn't rule my seventh, it rules my 11th and second. Um, although I, you know, um, Getting married, it wasn't really just getting married. I mean, I, I became a family man. I suddenly have three stepkids. I'm suddenly, you know, uh, taking kids to school and, you know, making breakfast and making lunches. And, and you know, I mean, and, and went from like real, like extreme bachelorhood to this um, very family uh, oriented lifestyle. Um, so, yeah, and that, the, 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 the progressed Mercury, as you can see, happens right on my IC. So I, to me, that's, you know, mm. it's, it's a very sort of fourth house thing. It's not just a, a matter of getting married. Um, that, that, you know, that was, uh, it was everything that came with Anna, the whole new lifestyle. Okay. Yeah. Brilliant. Awesome. That makes sense. Awesome. All right. Um, let's quickly, maybe not visually, but just audio wise, go through a few examples. I know you had one, um, I think, Catherine, with Princess Diana. Yeah. Yeah. Her and I have another really good one I have to talk about. But yeah, Princess Diana, she, um, her progressed Neptune is going to station, I believe it stations direct. And that happens when she's 19 years old and it happens in her 12th house. So what happens is, is that she gets engaged to Prince Charles during that time. So what the whole world is seeing is this fairy tale experience, this fairy tale wedding. And you remember the long train on her dress and getting married in a, in like a castle, basically. Right. So yeah, it's very Neptunian in terms of the, the, discord between what people were perceiving and then what her actual lived experience was, was more of the 12th house feeling kind of trapped experience. Now, at the same time, she also had her son by secondary progression opposing her natal Saturn. Mm. So all the all the other layers there with uh, the rules and when to curtsy and all of that stuff. So all the formality. Right. That makes sense. Uh, mm -hmm. What was your other example that you wanted to make sure that we squeezed in? The other one is LeBron James. His uh, Pluto is stationing right now by secondary progression, and it actually happened. Um, we could ballpark it to late 2021 if we're doing the eyeball technique. So he's going to be age 37. And early this year, he actually shattered an NBA record for most points scored of all time. Mm. And he has continued to hit, like, break these records for most points scored um, at such a young age. He's always been the youngest. But this was a really big one because he is now this element of Plutonian power where he has shattered all these records and he has scored 
the most points in the NBA of all time. So all time means the main season, the playoffs, as well as maybe the preseason. But he's also set to break the record for most points scored of all time during the main season. And he's projected to do that within about two years. So if we're taking into consideration that orb of a, of a stationary planet being able to kind of echo for that long, um, he's he's set to do that. He's on track to do that. And who knows what else he may do with that Pluto station. Mm, okay, that's brilliant. Um, let's see. One other that was submitted that I wanted to make sure we did. I put out a call on Twitter just saying we were going to do this episode and asking if anybody had any good examples of secondary progressed stationary planets and what happened in people's lives. And um, Michael J. Morris on Twitter uh, pointed out that Laverne Cox, the actor, um, had a really great example of secondary progressed Venus station. And Michael wrote, uh, Laverne Cox's progressed Venus station direct around December 8th, 2012. Venus rules her 10th house slash midheaven, and she was cast in the series Orange is the New Black in 2012, which began filming and premiered in 2013, propelling her to new professional fame and visibility. Um, and I remember that at the time because Orange is the New Black was not only just a huge series and was like a really good series on Netflix at the time, but um, Laverne Cox played a really prominent role as a trans woman in the series and really helped to sort of promote and sort of normalize um, different causes related to trans people by becoming a prominent trans celebrity at the time. So that's a really interesting and good example of that with Venus stationing direct, as well as just becoming more notable at the time in general. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah. Were you guys, either you Orange is the New Black fans? I haven't seen it, but I've been meaning to. Um, yeah, uh, I definitely will now. I just, I, I looked up the birth date while you were talking about her. So yeah, she's uh, born on Stevie Nicks' 24th birthday, I think. Uh, so it's that same, you know, Gemini with the Venus and Cancer and, and all that. Uh, oh. yeah. the, these patterns, these patterns, yeah. uh, you, you, you start to see them just, you know, repeat, repeat, repeat. Says, well, especially says, the, Venus. says the human ephemeris. Right. <laughs> says the human ephemeris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right. What's a quick example that you wanted to mention, Nick? Oh, gee, I, you know, that's the thing that the examples I submitted are super fascinating, but they're complex and they, you know, Johnny Cash and Elizabeth Taylor, because they're born a day apart, uh, Richard Pryor and Bruce Lee, because they're born about four days apart, but those are sort of more convoluted, very, really interesting things, but maybe I'll, I'll have to save them for a, a video of my own. Um, because they're not quickies. Neither of them are, are, are quickies, uh, interesting as they are. But I'm trying to remember what else I submitted. Uh, uh, there's a Russian history one. Oh, um, oh, oh, yes, Tsar Nicholas II. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this this is uh, this is an easy enough one. Um, Tsar Nicholas II was the last Romanov Tsar of Russia. Um, and his progress Venus stationed retrograde in 1918, which is just after he's overthrown and just before he and his whole family are shot in a basement by Bolsheviks, um, but which ends the, I mean, this is in terms of where we are today and in, in the news and what's going on now, um, you know, people are, are asserting that in fact, um, Putin doesn't want to restore the, 
Soviet Union, he wants to restore in a way what uh, was lost uh, when Tsar Nicholas's progressed Venus was stationing retrograde, uh, you know, a, a Russian empire. Um, and there is there is a very interesting, intre- uh, I mean, Russian history is just full of Venus retrograde stuff like this. I mean, the not only was Tsar Nicholas II born with this Venus retrograde, but so was Tsar Nicholas I, <laughs> uh, his, his uh, great-grandfather. And, uh, and Tsar Nicholas I's grandmother, Catherine the Great, also had a Venus retrograde. And uh, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of assassinations that occurred during Venus retrograde um, in Russian history and all kinds of most of the most of the Soviets were Venus retrograde guys. Lenin was Venus retrograde. Trotsky was Venus retrograded. Brezhnev. Um, so it's it's um, it's something that's really intense. Some astrologers have pointed out, for instance, um, that this this um, current invasion occurs on the Venus return of the of when uh, the Russians took over the annexed the Crimea in 2014. But in fact, yeah. it goes much further back than that, because the, the Crimean War itself back in the 19th century began as Venus was going into the same Venus retrograde that the, the current one is going on. And if you go back to Catherine the Great, and <laughs> it just goes on and on. Wow. Um, the whole history of of uh, Russia and annexing or trying to annex or or even letting go when when Khrushchev gave the the Crimea back to uh, uh, Ukraine uh, he was born uh, with the same Venus retrograde that we're going under now so it just it it, it goes on and on and on um, and if and this is the sort of the beauty of the technique is um, you know you can think about uh, the 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 Russian Romanov Empire you can think about the Soviets you can think about Putin's regime. And these are, you know, very different regimes in the same geographical territory. And you can cast a horoscope for the Russian Federation or for the Soviet Union. But there's something broader than that, which is this this ongoing uh, Venus synodic cycle that no matter who's in charge, no matter whether things are going well or going poorly, you can you can follow that rhythm, that cycle throughout their, you know, three, four hundred years of history and just keep getting hits it's it's like a piece of music it's on the it's on the one you know um like like uh yeah i don't know how else to put it it's it's brilliant but yeah yeah um, indeed we just venus retrograde we just finally um left yesterday i realized the venus retrograde shadow phase like late last night for this current venus retrograde that's been going on since december and november and yeah, it was really striking that the invasion of Ukraine that happened over the past couple of weeks ended up being almost exactly eight years since uh, eight years earlier in 2014 when Crimea was annexed originally. Indeed, wow. although you know, with Venus, I I don't just I I extend the shadow to the two great greatest elongations, which means we still have another, I think, 20 days or so before Venus makes its greatest elongation. And I really consider that to be part of the whole retrograde process. It's sort of bookended by those two greatest elongations. So we're still very much uh, uh, in part of it. And if I may, Chris, um, just since we're on the topic, Jupiter and Neptune are coming up to a conjunction in Pisces. Um, and the good news is the last time Jupiter and Neptune had a conjunction in Pisces was 1856 when uh, Russia was forced to negotiate and end the Crimean War. Uh, under And it's, and it's funny because um, you, you would never imagine it, but I don't know if, if you're following the news, um, Russian tanks are running out of fuel uh, as, they, as they enter Ukraine. And that's sort of a, a, a non-going, it's kind of, first of all, kind of a, 
uh, yeah, don't, don't, don't get uh, don't get too much into political event or um, making Sorry, predictions yeah. right now with this with everything just because it's so delicate. But um, I think that's a really good example in terms of that was just with Tsar Nicholas II. That was the last Russian king, basically, in the end of the Russian monarchy, and then the beginning of um, of what became the Soviet Union, and then eventually later after the fall of the Soviet Union in the early '90s, the current Russian Federation. So that's a great example. Um, yeah. Catherine, you had a really good one, I thought, with Will Smith, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's one with Will Smith. And then I have a couple Mars ones to share, too, because we haven't we haven't talked about Mars, I don't think. Mm, okay. Um, let me just find Will Smith. Okay. So Will Smith, his Mercury station's retrograde when he's seven years old. We don't quite have the data as to what happened. But when Mercury finally stations direct in 1996, he's 28 years old. He films the Men in Black, the first one. He marries Jada. So he had just gotten divorced a couple years earlier. So we could maybe wrap that into the progression as well, because um, Mercury rules Will's ascendant. He's a Gemini rising. And so he gets divorced because he was focusing so much on his career. That's one of the reasons why he marries Jada Pinkett Smith. And he drops his first album, Big Willie Style, had a huge impact on my upbringing <laughs> in middle school. <laughs> and he has that number one hit, Getting Jiggy With It. So yeah, and then there's, um, Chris, you mentioned also. Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, in 1996, the most important thing that Will Smith did is he released Independence Day, and I feel like that was that and Men in Black were definitely like the high watermark of his popularity, and especially in terms of his acting career and his transition from television and doing like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air to suddenly becoming one of the top movie stars. Really happens at this time period with the release of Independence Day, which came out in 1996, in the same year that this is stationing direct, and then. Subsequently, Men in Black, which became a really popular series as well. So, yeah, that's a really impressive one, just in terms of that being the turning point where Will Smith becomes, you know, popular and successful TV actor to suddenly becoming a super mega movie star as well as a successful uh, musician, which he had sort of already been up to that point. But having the first Billboard number one is pretty striking. Yeah, and and I'll clarify. Oh, it wasn't his first. It wasn't his first album. It was his first solo album. I was going to say, right. I I saw him live in 1990 before he even had a TV show when he was Fresh what? Prince. I oh. saw him with DJ Jazzy Jeff. I went because De La Soul were the opening act, but he was awesome as well. Um, so that's <laughs> you guys make me feel so old. <laughs> yeah, I saw yeah. Him in 1990, he wasn't. He didn't even have a TV show yet. We we knew him from his his uh, his records with DJ Jazzy Jeff. Parents just don't understand and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's well, awesome. You can you can lecture us on that, and we we as like millennials will lecture you on the importance <laughs> of getting jiggy with it as a single in the mid nineteen nineteen ninety. Okay, <laughs> Sorry. I was still in my twenties in those days. Okay, um, so and yeah, I mean, and Will Smith is great because one of the things I'm really enjoying about now getting older and being in my mid to late thirties at this point is all of the people that were celebrities that I was super big fans of when I was younger are now getting old enough that they're all writing like biographies and autobiographies yes. and all of the like autobiographies are coming out. So like Will Smith released one a few months ago, which I was really interested in because we have this time birth chart for him. So it's so 
great to be able to read an autobiography and, and see the person's own reflections as they're getting into that stage of their life on things that happened earlier and sometimes finding out information that wasn't public earlier. And that was kind of a big theme also in terms of his book, which was interesting. But then also other celebrities like Dave Grohl also released like an autobiography in the past year. And that's another time chart that we have that then provided more information backstory. It's just like one of the things, one of the few things I'm appreciating about getting older. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it 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 is. Um, I mean, and this is true. Someone who reads a lot of biographies, um, a lot of times the 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 you know the 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 true stories, so to speak, come out much longer after you know the 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 events happen. There's things that we learn, like for instance, uh, you know, um, uh, th- there are things about uh, Bruce Lee's life or or things about the Manson murders that are only emerging in books that have come out in the last few years, things that really changed the narrative as we knew them. And, and uh, these are subjects that I've been following for 20 plus years as an astrologer. And, and yet, you know, it sometimes takes time for, uh, uh, you know, um, the, the true story, so to speak, to come out or for real information to come out. So yeah, um, it, it is refreshing when finally these biographies come out and you, you get uh, um, insights into things that happened 20 years ago that you had no idea, you know, because they weren't necessarily big news stories. And yeah. Yeah. And, and although we're focusing mainly on celebrity charts, like that's one of the drawbacks, of course, of using celebrities is you don't always know exactly what was going on unless it's public information or was documented in some way. And that's one of the reasons why looking at this technique sometimes can be important for charts, either looking at your own chart or charts of the, of the people that you know, because you can sometimes find out much more information. And sometimes with celebrities, you know, a station may be even more important than you realize because there may be information or events that happened that just isn't public knowledge or isn't yet. Um, so that's, you know, in terms of the ongoing debate about using personal birth chart examples versus celebrity birth chart examples that we've always talked about on the podcast. Um, mm. Catherine, what was the Mars example that you wanted to mention? So yeah, the the one that is really stand out to me is Judy Garland. So another performer here. She has she's born with Mars retrograde. And I believe Mars the opposite the sun, I think. Yeah, and I believe I'm going to pull up her chart right now. I believe that um, Mars rules her midheaven. I believe. Um, okay, Chris is on it. it rules her. Uh, no, it? she's okay. Pisces rules midheaven. her tenth house. Okay, so tenth rules her house. her tenth yeah, sign house. So Mars is going to station direct in her sixth house, and she is 36 years old. It was this year, I believe it's 1958, 1959, she's hospitalized with acute hepatitis. And she's told that, you know, this is, of course, from drinking and and all the pills that she's been on since being a child. And the doctors tell her that she's probably never going to sing again. She has about five years to live. And Judy describes this as the biggest relief of her life because she's been performing, just churning out movies and albums and whatnot from childhood. She's exhausted. And so this is a huge relief to her that finally the pressure's off for the first time in her life. So the sixth house here is relevant because it's a health issue. Um, But then because it takes so much pressure off of her, 
She then goes on to perform what many people refer to as the greatest night in show business. And Mm. she does her Carnegie Hall performance in 1961. And it's huge because Judy was always unreliable. She was always kind of showing up late. Sometimes she'd be too drunk at this point in her life. But this one, she was on the money. Nice. Uh, yeah, she's she's got a fascinating chart. And, you know, that Mars retrograde in Sagittarius, Mars retrograde in Sagittarius is quite rare. It, it, it can take 32 to 47 years to reoccur. And as it happens, she was born with Mars retrograde in Sagittarius, and she died when Mars was retrograde in Sagittarius in 1969. And that there was no other Mars retrograde in Sagittarius by transit in between her birth and death. Like it's her birth and death are bookmarked very elegantly by the Mars retrograde in Sagittarius. And they're the only ones. There's no sort of intermediate one in between. That is fascinating. Wow. Yeah. This is what it's like if you go and sit around with Nick Diggenbast at a party or something, is he just starts spouting out these facts uh, and he's truly the human ephemeris. Yeah. This is 25 years, actually 27 years of, of yeah, study. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fascinating. Other examples, good Pluto example, Nick, which is um, Churchill. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, He had secondary progressed Pluto make a station in May, June 1940, right when he becomes prime minister as uh, the the Germans are attacking uh, Belgium, Netherlands, uh, France, Norway, etc. And yeah, you know, the famous speeches, uh, uh, speeches about beaches, uh, you know, we'll fight them on the landing grounds, we'll do all that, Um, all that stuff, right? uh, uh, And it's very Plutonian for him, because I mean, first of all, um, he hasn't really had party support. Um, He's been an outlier. Uh, uh, throughout the 1930s, he's famously the only one sort of saying that the Nazis are bad news when everyone's trying to accommodate them. And that's one of the reasons he becomes prime minister, because he's the only one who really saw things for what they were. Uh, and of course, um, in 1940, Britain is really alone fighting Germany. Uh, Russia is still allied with Germany. The Americans are are basically keeping their hands off. They're not even, it's not even, they're not even supplying weapons yet. The eventually, Lend-Lease comes along later in 1941. And then, of course, at the end of 41, the United States joins the, the action. So in this period, when he has the secondary progress Pluto make it station, Britain uh, is, is really alone in a very Plutonian experience fighting for survival. Um, so yeah, that's a powerful, yeah, thank you for reminding me, I'd forgotten about. Yeah. I have another, I have another prime minister. Okay. Um, so Margaret Thatcher. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her Uranus stations by progression and Mercury at the same time in 1974. She's 49 years old. And this is when she secures the head of the Conservative Party in Britain. And she's the first female to do this for any major political party. And this is also under her progressful moon, if anyone's curious. And this leads to her becoming the first female prime minister in 1979. So that's five years later um, under the progressed third quarter moon. But um, so a significant turning point there. But I thought that this was another one because I mentioned earlier in the recording that sometimes Uranus, when it stations, we can see themes of smashing the ceiling, the glass ceiling. So here we see that with her. Wow. Okay. Very much. She's got a great chart. She was born the same day as Lenny Bruce, but he died way too young to have any of these secondary progress stations. But in other instances, I like to, because there's such different 
figures born on the same day. Um, yeah. yeah, good one. That's really important, then, observation in terms of like the length of time that a person is alive is really going to dictate and, in some instance, curtail how many secondary progress stations can actually occur in their life. Yeah. And um, it sort of reminds me of some of the ancient statements, like in Ptolemy in the second century, of why some of the ancient astrologers wanted to use the you know, so-called length of life technique. And they said that their rationale was that you shouldn't predict events for a person who won't live long enough to see that event. For example, if somebody didn't live into their 70s or 80s, then they wouldn't experience, right. for example, Biden's like secondary progress stations of three planets in that year. I was about to say, because Biden was born nine days before Ann Dunham. Do you know who Ann Dunham is? No. Barack Obama's mother. Okay. Oh, wow. And she, of course, she died, she died uh, back in the 90s. Um, so she's a good example because she would have the same secondary progressions a little earlier than Biden, but, but long after she actually passed. So that's another example. Uh, right. Course, she famously, famously passed away from cancer or, or relatively young. Exactly. Young. Exactly. And, and leading to Obama's, uh, um, you know, uh, Campaign to to have better uh, a better healthcare program in the U.S. because um, you know he felt that she might have survived had uh, her access care to care been better. But all that being equal, indeed, she's only nine days younger than uh, than Biden. So a lot of those secondary progressions would happen just nine years prior to when Biden has them. Um, but she she died long before those would come to pass. That's really interesting then, and also kind of touching in terms of Biden, you know, Obama later picking Biden as his running mate and, and Biden becoming his vice president. And even though Obama's mother didn't live to see him become president and wasn't around for that in the late 2000s and early 2010s, Biden being somebody that would have a very somewhat similar chart to her if they were born within nine days of her mother, then you know, would and in some level almost um, would have carried some of that energy of the that time period of that birth chart um, as he advised him during the course of Obama's presidency. That's really sweet. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're at two hours and seven minutes. We're we're really towards the end of this, and I think we've covered like a lot of stuff. So I think this might be a good point to wrap up, unless there's any just killer examples that we haven't mentioned that we could mention briefly, but I think we're actually probably in pretty good shape unless there's something I'm totally overlooking. Yeah, like I said, I I mean I do have more great examples, but they're 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 epics. <laughs> they're they're, you know, um they're worth they're tales worth telling. They're tales I will tell uh in my own time. Uh, uh but um yeah I think I think we've run the course now. Yeah. Brilliant. How do you feel, Catherine? Um I could share could I share one more? Sure, do it. Okay. So we've got Dave Chappelle. He's got a couple. He's got two one, um, pretty good ones. So Mars, another Mars example. Mars is going to station retrograde in 1999. And this is a huge turning point for him in terms of what to do with his career. So he actually considers leaving Hollywood at this point. He had some big letdowns. There was an instance where he had the opportunity to do like a spinoff of um, him and Jim Brewer made an appearance on Tim Allen's Home Improvement. And the network liked it so much that they want to create this new show called Buddies. It didn't work out. So he pitched 
um, another show to the network with him and all of his friends. But the network was like, hey, why don't we put take your black friends out and put a bunch of white friends in there? Because we think that our audience will receive that better. And he was like, um, that's racist and screw you guys. And so he goes home and he considers leaving Hollywood altogether. So this is 1996 that this happens. But by 1998, he's co-starring with Tom Hanks in You've Got Mail, um, Martin Lawrence in Blue Streak. And he um, co-writes Half-Baked by two th- in, in that time period too. And so by the year 2000, he has his first HBO special, which is like every comic's goal, right? To have your own HBO special. So this is all centered around this Mars stationing retrograde. Interestingly, um, Progressed Mars is going to return to um, its natal position, I believe, at some point. Um, or wait, no, maybe I'm getting that confused with something else going on for him. So put a pin in that. But I'll skip to his Jupiter so he also has a uh, his stationary progressive Jupiter is going to station direct in 2008, and he's 35 years old at this point. So 2008, um, this is a little bit after everything that went down. He had, of course, the Chappelle show with um, oh, what is that? The comet? It's uh, I forget the network, but it's the comedy. Comedy Central. Comedy Central. Yes, shows you how long Chris I haven't I had cable. When it was airing back when we lived in Cumberland. Yeah. Oh, nice. I mean, the Chappelle show was like a wildly popular. I mean, that 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 first retrograde Mars station that you mentioned is really po- important in 99 and 2000 because when he released that first HBO stand up special in 2000, I think that really cemented his legacy as one of the, the leading stand up comedians. And, and that's what led to him getting partially what led to him getting the Chappelle show on Comedy Central. And then that became just wildly wildly popular in the early to mid 2000s so but then what you're saying is he he ended up unexpectedly leaving the Chappelle show in one of the later seasons and and rejecting a huge offer of like the millions and millions yeah. like millions 500 and millions. million yeah precisely yeah precisely what you were saying there chris and yeah so his jupiter stations and this kind of coincides with him just leaving you know jupiter in this case um, you know, is going to be representative of his urge for freedom. And it's not just any vacation that he takes. So this is the difference between, say, a Jupiter transit, where you may want to just get out of Dodge for a minute, have an experience. He moves to South Africa. And then he tells his wife, he's like, I'm I'm gone. <laughs> Hope you'll forgive me and maybe join me here. But he's like, I just got to get out. So he couldn't deal with the pressure anymore. And sure. Yeah. I can attest running off to South Africa unexpectedly can really change one's life for the better. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. I mean, those are really good examples just because that kind of bookends, um, you know, him rising up that first station in 99 and 2000 and rising up to the pinnacle of his career. And then the Jupiter stationing sort of coming down from that uh, period and walking away from everything. But then also, of course, over the past decade, then he's made a comeback, especially over the past several years. Um, but in terms of those two stations, that's a really those are compelling examples. Yeah, and I remembered 
Oh, sorry. Just really quick. I remember what I was going to say. His stationary progressed Mars is going to retrograde back to his natal Mars, I believe, in 2024. So that'll be interesting to observe because you don't get to observe that sort of progression very often. Mm-hmm. That's true. What okay. I remember about 2008 is that that's when he started doing sort of stand up. Like he, he, the show ended, I think, 2004 if I remember correctly, but 2008, he's doing standup and and you start to see clips of him on YouTube, you know, um, and, uh, um, you know, cause he's, he's doing like surprise gigs at little comedy clubs and, and the clips are showing, YouTube is a brand new thing at this point, but this is one of the things that just start showing up because, you know, he'd pulled his own sort of little Greta Garbo move um when he when he left the show indeed and went to south africa so um yeah the progression in terms of how it synchronizes i i see it as part of his gradual re-emergence because he went from just doing surprise gigs at little stand-up clubs to eventually working his way up to this netflix thing he's got going now yeah and and maybe coming back and figuring out that was the beginning of the phase 2008 and forward of him coming back and figuring out and setting the terms and coming back on his own terms which you know was primarily as a as a comedian and as by that time he's like the sort of elder comedian like states person over the past decade rather than somebody in the mid to early 2000s who he felt was kind of being trapped and had these people telling him what he could and could not do creatively which he really wasn't happy about so um yeah that's really interesting as as two turning points in his life and in his career mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, great example. I think we've covered a surprising amount of stuff today. I thought we were going to get through like a fraction of the examples that we did. I know we still have others that we could have gone through, but I think I think we've got the point across that when a, a planet yeah, stations by secondary so. secondary progression, I think hopefully after the two hours and fifteen minutes, people have got the point. Um, but if you didn't, you're hopeless. Give up astrology. <laughs> right. I don't know. About, I don't know about that. I would keep. I would keep trying, but. Um, Keep trying. Never quit. Never quit. So both of you are practicing astrologers that give consultations, lectures, um, and classes and, and other writings and things. Um, Catherine, what's your website? And tell us about what your work and what you have coming up. Yeah, so you can find me on all platforms at Astro Catherine. That's Catherine with a C. Um, and then my website is CatherineUrban.com, and that's Urban with a U. And yeah, I just actually finished a course on secondary progression. So all of this is super fresh in my mind. And that course is actually going to be available for download. So you can kind of go at your own pace. So the best way to keep up to keep posted on when that course drops is to join my mailing list. It should be out very soon. Um, yeah, and I just have some speaking engagements coming up. I'm going to be making appearances at various NCGR chapters here in the next couple of months. Um, And also I will be speaking at the Astrology Gathering, which is a little conference in Lilydale, New York, which is, if you've never heard of it, it's a little tiny town on a lake full of psychic mediums. And you must be a psychic to live there. Awesome. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, So your website is catherineurban.com. And I'll put I'll put a link to that in the description below this video on YouTube or on the Astrology Podcast website uh, if people are listening to the audio version. Perfect. Yeah. And I'm also just offering consultations. So yeah, that's pretty much the bulk of what I've got going on on a week-to-week basis. And I've got 
all kinds of forecasts on pretty much all the platforms. So that's where you can find me. Cool. Yeah. And people, if they wanted to get a, a consultation focusing on secondary progressions with you and applying this technique, they could do it just by contacting you for a consult. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, and Nick, what about you? What do you have going on? What's your website URL? My website is nickdagenbestastrologer.com. Um, and I'm presently, like I said earlier, I'm working on a series of video essays about, uh, largely about planetary synodic cycles, but I'm also going to touch on subjects like uh, secondary progressions and what have you. Um, but yeah, I'm very interested in the, the, the video essay format. Um, it's something I feel like uh, I've been training my whole life to, to have a stab at. So um, yeah, it's coming together nicely. Um, I've got a lot of different um, episodes planned, uh, like the one I mentioned earlier about um, uh, pop groups of the 70s and the, their Venus retrogrades and you know the Carpenters and the Bee Gees and ABBA and all those people, but uh, some other, and ACDC and Van Halen for the, the harder rockers um, and a bunch of other things. Uh, um, politics, uh, cinema, um, authors, all kinds of different, really interesting uh, horoscopes and life stories that go with them. Uh, the first episode I'm, I'm working on is, is topical because it is about Russia. I've read a lot about Russia um, and even visited there in 2016, and I'm kind of glad I did because I don't know if it'll be a place anyone wants to go to for a long time to come. But um, yeah, so um, all kinds of stuff there, and then just day to day, I I um, I offer con, con excuse me, I offer consultations. Uh, I I can be booked through my website. Um, one hour consultations. I talk about secondary progressions, transits, whatever, uh, whatever people need to to sort out their stuff. Whatever you know, um, they come to me with. I I help them with. Brilliant. All right. And your website's nickdiganbestastrologer.com. And I'll put a link to that in the description below the video or on the Astrology Podcast website. And um, as for myself, I teach uh, online courses on astrology through my course site, which is at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And my main course for learning natal chart or birth chart interpretation is my Hellenistic astrology course. Um, and then also, if people like the podcast and want to support it and get access to uh, benefits and bonus content like early access to new episodes, you can sign up through my Patreon at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. All right, guys, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining me. This is amazing. I'm glad we got to do this, and this is a lot of fun, so we should get together again some other time and do some other Absolutely. topics in the future. Thrilled. Thank you so much, Chris. And Nick, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thanks, everyone, for listening or watching this episode, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to the patrons on our producers tier, including Nate Craddock, Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, and Kristen Otero. If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, 
or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline uh, basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Also, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the Astrogold Astrology app, which is available for both iPhone and Android at astrogold.io. There are also two major astrology conferences happening this year. The first is the Northwest Astrological Conference, happening May 26th through the 30th, 2022, near Seattle, Washington. Find out more information at norwak.net. And the second is the International Society for Astrological Research Conference, which is taking place August 25th through the 29th, 2022, in Westminster, Colorado. And you can find out more information about that at isar2022.org. 